Good morning, second service. How are we doing? All right. Um, I know the students are on a mission trip, so front row, you're going to have to help me this morning. Just you guys representing. I like it, all right? Um, as you know, our student team, they're on a mission trip to Colorado doing some evangelism out in Denver, so we'll be praying for them. There is one other announcement I want to say as both Pastor Nate and Pastor Dan are back from some sabbaticals. Uh, while they were away, there was even a week where I was even gone on a weekend. I want you to know that we have a tremendous staff here. So even there was a weekend that they ran services out, any of the lead senior pastors here. So make sure when you see Pastor CJ, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Fabiano, Pastor Lizzie, Jessica, and them, you let them know what a great job they do. Because they're not as, not as staged as much as the lead senior pastors are, but they do a lot behind the scenes. So make sure you just tell them what a great job they're doing. Let's go ahead and give them a hand if they're in the room. So. So this morning, we're going to dive into another parable, but before we do so, we're going to prepare for it the best way we know how. Let's pray. Then, Father God, we're just so glad we can gather in your house this morning. As we dive into your word, we ask that as we flip through these pages that they just be ingrained in our hearts. God, we ask for the Holy Spirit to move. We pray for it to be your words that come out and not mine. God, we also ask that as we look at a parable um, on unforgiveness, we see how that impacts lives and communities and how we need to not be that way. Pray us on your name. Amen. So the parable we are going to talk about this morning is one you might not know of. It's called the unforgiving servant. So it's about unforgiveness. But before I go into that message this morning, let me ask you this question. Think back. What is the worst apology you've ever received? If it's from your spouse, don't look next door, all right? Don't, don't do that. We don't want to cause problems. But what is the worst apology you've ever received? And what I mean by that is sometimes apologies just don't seem sincere. Or an apology might sound like, hey, you know, I'm sorry I did this, but it's really your own fault that I, the reason I behaved this way. Some of the worst people at apologies are professional athletes. Sure. are. You can scroll through, you can search this. I did this this week and see what are some awful apologies that professional athletes had given. Uh, one of my favorites that I found was a certain professional quarterback threw 35 interceptions in a season, and when asked about it, he said, you know, it's probably my colorblindness. Really? It's that bad that you can't tell the different colors of jerseys on the field? Or maybe, Vinny Testaverde, you're just that bad. That's why you don't really know that name anymore. I believe he was a Jets player. That's probably why. All right. See, there's no Jets fans. I can make that joke in here. All right. But as we come into the message this morning, as we talk about this unforgiving servant, be careful as we read this because maybe there's some things we need to pick up from it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 pretty much all the morning at a camp out there. Let's go ahead and dive into the text. So Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's a couple things in this text that I want to unpack. First off, when we read this parable, I think it's fairly self-explanatory what happened in this parable. Somebody owed a lot of money. It was forgiven of them. And they weren't that charitable in return. I think Jesus' words seem pretty simple there. But let's go ahead and unpack a couple things. The master or the king that they are referring to in this text, that is God. That is a great God illustration here. The servant, no matter which one you're talking about, is us if we want to apply it to our lives today. But as we read through this passage, there's a couple things I want to highlight. Number one comes right out of verse, the verse 21. Then Peter came up to him. Now, guys, Peter's that apostle that we get great text from because he asked the questions we would ask. Okay? Sometimes we might think they're dumb questions, but thank goodness he asked those questions or we might be really ignorant. And he, he asked Jesus, should I forgive people seven, should I forgive my brother seven times? And what's funny about that is all the Jews know this. In Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, you were to forgive someone thrice, three times. And so Peter's even going above and beyond here. You know, Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says no, 77 times. Now, I want to talk about something this morning. And as we dive into the text more, there's something that we need to know about Scripture. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we read Scripture just as words on a page and don't look at anything else. I want you to understand that when you were in English class in seventh grade, you learned some very valuable lessons about how to read Scripture. And every student in here is super excited. There is literary devices in here. There's things called hyperbole, alliteration. If you don't know what those are, look them up. Don't have time to explain them, all right? But we're going to look at some hyperbole here in a second. And the first set of hyperbole we see is this. This first servant, he owed 10,000 talents. Well, what's a talent? A talent is an allotment of gold or silver or some other precious metal. And 10,000 talents is actually worth one talent. One talent is worth 6,000 denarii, which you see behind me on the screen. So one talent is worth 6,000 denarii. But what's a denarii worth? 
One denarii is as pretty much a single day's wage in this time period. So this servant who owned 10,000 10, talents, depending on what type of metal, you're talking about 30 to 100 million days of work. Now, do we really think he owed that much? My answer to you is no. 10,000 is probably the biggest number the Jewish audience would have understood. What this is saying, this parable is saying, hey, he was beyond being able to repay this. He was in so much debt, he couldn't repay it. That's what this text is saying. And what happens is he pleads. He pleads with the king. There was no way this servant could repay this debt. So he pleads with the king, have patience, have mercy. Because even if the king were to follow through and throw him in jail or sell him and his family, he would never have recouped the cost that supposedly he had racked up in debt. So he forgives it. And here's where the illustration comes in for us. If you don't see the parallel, it's this. Because that's what God does for us. We had a debt that we could never repay. If you don't know what that is, that is sin. It's basic gospel 101. We have been separated by God because of sin. No action, no work, no amount of money could restore that relationship. It was 10,000 talents worth. It was, it was not going to happen by our own means. So Jesus comes. So God sends his son. And he says, it's all forgiven. We just took communion this morning. We, so we talked about the illustration of the cross. This all happens because we see God's grace for us is immeasurable. God's grace for us is immeasurable. Do we understand that today as a church? That we were so far from God, there was nothing that we could physically do that he had to send his son. That is the only way it could be done. If you know the Old Testament, you know they tried other methods. There was atonement sacrifices. And yes, that worked for a time. But as we see, it wasn't a finality. It wasn't a finite way of having grace. There was one great offering, one perfect offering that God sends. And so this is what this master has showed to this servant. You have owed me so much, but it's forgiven. Man, that's awesome. And then the rest of this parable is the response to grace. We get to see the response to grace because honestly, what should have happened is forgiveness should bring about forgiveness. I'm sure that's probably what the king thought. You know, I'm going to forgive him and it'll be all right. He, he'll walk away here lighter and just feeling better about himself and all is well. Forgiveness should bring about forgiveness. But what happens? Well, he's forgiven this a massive amount of debt. He goes and finds someone that owes him about five months of work, doesn't have a conversation, grabs the guy, starts choking him, and says, give me what you owe. Now, let, let's go ahead and let's look the nicest way possible. We don't have context to this. So maybe you're saying, Chase, what if 
This servant was trying to collect this money because he was going to give it to the king and say, hey, thanks for giving me. I've collected some of my debts, and I want to give this to you. Well, if we want to take that rainbow optimistic approach, we can. And what I want to say to that is this. We justify just like that. We think we might do it that way. We justify sin. We justify hatred. We justify unforgiveness. Because practically, this servant, who was forgiven so much that it was only measured by the biggest amount the Jewish audience would have understood, says, it's pretty much what his actions say is this. I was in this much debt, and you were part of the problem. Church, we do the same thing. All the stuff that we have in our life, all, all the... The sin and the garbage that we go through and the things that we do that we know we shouldn't. For some reason, it's somebody else's fault. That's human nature. We've all done that. We've all looked around and said, man, I'm only this bad because of this person in my life. Have you met my parents? Some of you might have said that. Have you met my kids? That's why I'm crazy. It's never, hey, it's right here. It's me. It's on me. And that's why when we talked about, you know, I started this one with the athletes. We try to teach kids today, own your mistakes so you don't look like that. The thought here is forgiveness should bring about forgiveness. But it didn't happen. In fact, we have so much other scripture that talks about this. Ephesians 4.32 this is what Paul writes to church in Ephesus. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13. Another church that Paul's writing to. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Matthew 6, 14 to 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what we have in this parable, which I think is super easy to understand, in Jesus' words as he's teaching this, someone got the full taste of grace, and instead of offering it out to others, withheld it and beat somebody down. Now, I could preach this parable and we could just talk about this text, but the scholar in me would hate that. I want to talk about a text that comes right before this one. Because it's something if you've learned at Great Oaks, something we try to teach is that when we read scripture, we need to know what comes before it, what comes after it, so we can read scripture in context. And there's a famous passage that's right before this parable. You might even know it as the Matthew 18 passage, because if you've been in church for over like a couple years, you know this passage. It's a passage on how to reconcile with a brother. And this passage, in my estimation, is probably one of the most abused passages in all of the Bible. And usually not abused by the audience, usually it's abused by the pastor. And I mean that wholeheartedly. This is the passage you might know is, oh, hey, if you have a problem with your brother, you need to go to them privately, speak it out. Then if that problem still exists, you take witnesses with you. 
And if that problem still exists then, you take them before the church. That's the passage that, that's what I'm referring to. But what's funny to me is the parable of the unforgiving servants right after. So what does this tell me? When I read, when I read scripture in context, what does that say? We as church leaders, we as people that have been in the church a long time, we love Matthew 18. Oh, you got a problem? Why have you not addressed it? Or, wait, you did address this problem? Didn't fix it? Take witnesses? Here's the problem with this church. If we want to be a Matthew 18 type of people of, hey, we're going to call out everyone's problems, we're going to fix this, have these hard conversations, if we're going to be that strong on Matthew 18, we better be strong on Matthew 7. What Matthew 7 is, is, hey, don't surgically remove the speck out of your neighbor's eye if you have a plank sticking in yours. Forgiveness is hard. But man, we are smart people that justify a lot of things. Even in the church. You know, one of my favorites when we deal with conflict on any level, especially if we're seasoned Christians, it's all right, I've talked to this person about this. Hopefully 99% of the problem is dealt with there. But if it's not, then as Matthew 18 says, we take two witnesses with us. But what's funny is we even misread that. Because we just assume, hey, this person's talking trash about me. You got my back? You got my back? Let's get them. That's not what that text means. What that text means is you take non-biased people that will see both their perspective and yours, and you have a conversation. That's what Jewish law would have had. Impartial. That's why it's called a witness, not backup. That's why it's called witness, not a posse. And hopefully that it's fixed after there. And then if not, then we see it, oh, then take it to the church. And I hear it all the time, Chase, if people just followed Matthew 18, people wouldn't gossip. Really? That's like saying if people found Jesus, they just would stop sinning. <laughs> and the thing about this, it, it, don't hear me wrong, don't hear what I'm not saying. Matthew 18 is important. It gives you great advice. It's a great way to be able to handle most conflict. But what I see right afterwards is, hey, we need to offer forgiveness. You've been given immeasurable grace. Make sure you're dishing it out. Church, that's why it's important to know all of Scripture and not just a tagline or a phrase. Because when we don't know context and the whole, we make bad justifications and we make bad errors. Then brings us to another problem. When we read Matthew 18 in the text, something that we must know, we never use our owning of sin as an opportunity to accuse others. Let me tell you what that means. Because I see it happen all the time. Done it in my own life, I get it. Hey, I'm sorry I did this, and I'm sorry I've been sinful, but man, if your sin wasn't in my way, I don't know if this would have happened. We do that a lot. Hey, here's my problems, but I, I think that you've got the bigger problem. I think my problem's only in response to yours. Let me, let me put it to you practically. For example, 
It's like um, in a marriage, if any of you have been married any time, you know that at some point you're going to argue in marriage. You're going to have fights in marriage. You're going to have disagreements. You know, in my household, they're usually only one way. It's always Megan disagreeing with me. That's pretty much how it rolls. She's not here so I can say that. And here's the thing. If at that moment, when those disagreements happen, if I'm like, all right, let's go. If every time my response is, you want to have this? Let's go. I can argue with the best of them. I can fight with the best of them. Let me get my posse. They're called my witnesses. It's Matthew 18. It's scripture. Let's go. Man, if you guys have been married at any, any length of time, you would know that that's not going to last long. Why? Because God gave you something. This and this. Because maybe what you need to understand is if something's going wrong, you should ask yourself a question. What's going on in their life? What are they going through? Have I been doing my due diligence? Have I been meeting the needs I should be meeting? Because before we have any kind of conflict or before we talk about paying back debts, we need to understand that we've received grace. And before we have any of those conversations, we need to say, hey, where am I at? Am I okay? Am I good? This is one of those few messages. Usually a lot of the messages I preach will definitely just be like, hey, here's the, here's the gospel, here's the cross, here's salvation. Pretty much practical of how I preach. Today's a little different. Today I'm preaching to the seasoned Christian. Why? Because we'd be messing up too much. I'm serious. Forgiveness is something that we need to dole out a little bit more. We look around our world, we see that forgiveness is probably needed. But let's rephrase that. Let's, let's just, let's minimize it. Let's take the world out of the conclusion. Let's put the country in there for a second. I don't know if we see a whole bunch of forgiveness happening. Something you'll hear a lot is that people are just hating more than ever before. People are just hating people more than ever before. And I hate hearing generic statements. So as I looked to get inspired for a message, I thought, man, do people really hate others that much? And, and we can talk about if it's, based on political sides or race or whatever. Do people really hate people that much? So the first place I go to ask that question and see if it's legitimate, I open up Facebook. I see if there's there. I see if there's a case there. And, and you know, I, I find a little bit. I'm like, all right, that's pretty bad. Is there any place that's worse? I found it. Found it the other day, and I, I called someone. I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. If you pull up an article that has any kind of political tension to it, scroll all the way down, don't care if it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, I didn't check BBC, so don't quote me on that one, and you read the comments, man, it is spewed with hatred. And you might look at me and say, well, Chase, they're not, they're not believers. Well, I'm telling you right now, I read a lot of the comments, they threw out God a lot. Now, hear my heart. I'm not saying we forgive people willy-nilly. I'm not saying we go out and just forgive people randomly. But somewhere along the way, maybe it's our American culture, maybe it's our own humanity, we started thinking that, that forgiveness is only meant for the one that is the offender. And that is so not true. Forgiveness is not for the offender. It's for the offended. And here's what I mean by that. And, and hear what I'm saying. A lot of you in this room have been through more pain than me, have had more hurts than me. 
Some things have happened to some of you in this room that are just egregious. And you might be saying, well, Chase, you're asking me to forgive that? No, what I'm saying is we just got to stop carrying the weight. We got to stop carrying the weight. And saying, this doesn't define me more, and I'm going to offer forgiveness. I'm not saying that saying, hey, we're forgiven, we're best friends now. That's a very immature view, and it's not healthy. That works with three-year-olds, not 30-year-olds. God has also given you discernment. But as we've been given grace from Christ, forgiveness from God, our response needs to be forgiveness. And yeah, a shallow view might be, hey, because God has forgiven me, I have to do this. At some point, we hope, I hope you feel it. I hope you own it. Because we all make mistakes, we all, we all have our issues. But at the end of that, we all want to be better. I think that's a goal we all have. How do we grow closer? How do we follow the gospel closer? Peter was trying we give Peter a bad rap, but man, he was trying. Literally says, hey, should we forgive seven times? He was going above and beyond and saying seven. And Jesus was like 77. And Peter's like, man, I can get nothing right. So what do we do? Do we just do we count? Do we keep a tick sheet? All right. To, when we get to 77, yeah. No. Because we have to know it. It's literary device. That's not literal that Jesus is like 77, then it's over. Church, this is only possible because of one thing. It's only possible because salvation liberates us to forgive others. I hope you know that. I could not do this on my own. Forgiveness is not an easy thing for me. Some of you might share that weakness with me. I'm a very strong-willed, type-A kind of person. I know when I'm right, and I hold to my conviction. And if you're on the opposite side, you have the right to your own wrong opinion. That's okay. And forgiveness is hard. But hopefully, that, because the fact that we have salvation, that makes us understand and softens us a little bit to know that we need to offer people forgiveness. And it's not about being proven right. It's not about being vindicated. It's not about any of that. It's about, I want to be whole. I don't want someone to live in my heart like that. The only person that's allowed to live in my heart is Jesus. The only person allowed to live in my heart is the Holy Spirit. I don't want people running around in my head all the time. But man, we have an anger problem. We have a vengeance problem. There might be someone in this church that you might be looking across going, man, if you could just go to dust right now, yeah. Guys, we have that problem. Because what I want to say is this, judgment's not yours. It's not mine. And yeah, there's days I wish it was. But man, that's not holy. It's not. I, I pretty much say all this to say this. I'm going to go super kids' church on you this morning. I know I'm not Pastor Dan, but I think I have the right to do it every now and again. I got a nice little basket up here. It's pretty manly of me. Um, one of the great things about the summer season is, man, produce is fresh, fruit is fresh, it's nice. And so this morning, I have with me two uh, different selections of fruit. 
nice little peach and a lemon. And so what I'm asking really this morning is this. When we talk about dealing with the pressures of life, and when stress is on, and people have just offended you beyond belief, and you feel like just the life is being taken from you, what's on the inside of you? What character is there? Is it gospel-centered? Or is it this just aroma of sourness that makes you bitter and just want to hurt people? Because you've been hurt. Is that who we are? Because it's not who we're called to be. The alternative is this. The goal is to be as as much gospel-focused and Jesus-focused as we can be. So when life's pressure is on and stress has completely overridden us, when you think we can give no more, when we are squeezed to the fullest, what comes out is this sweet fruit. This is not possible without an important thing. This can't happen without Jesus. We're too human. We have too many flaws. So church, I don't know what's harboring on the inside of you right now. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's bitterness. I don't know if it's deceit. I don't know if it's, hey, my parents abused me. My parents did this to me. I don't know if it's the problem with kids. I don't know if it's a marriage problem. I don't know what it is. All I know is this. There's hope. And it's the only hope we know is that I want to be as Christ-like as possible because I'm tired of letting other people live inside me. I'm trying to let other people's issues deal with me because I want to be okay. I want to be able to focus on God in the fullest. And church, there is a way that we get to here. Because what's funny is we talked about communion this morning and Jesus taken to the cross. And what Jesus did when he was on the cross, one of his famous sayings was this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were driving railroad spikes into his body, tacking him to a tree. And he said, forgive them. Because Jesus knew the only thing that's going to bring about restoration with the Father is forgiveness. The only thing that's not going to fix your family is forgiveness. And this morning I'm preaching this message pretty close to borderline of a hypocrite because this is a hard thing for me. But that's what we're called to do. And better yet, Jesus said, hey, you have all this. But before he left, he told his disciples, better than me, I'm sending to you my helper. It's better for you that I should go, that I send to you my spirit. That way you're capable. If you call on Jesus, if you've taken that free gift of grace, because we can never do anything to repay him, to repay God and find salvation, but he gave us grace and we take that. If we own it, if we call ourselves believers, we have this Holy Spirit that's within us. And only through him are we capable of dealing with the stresses of life and still being able to be righteous. The next song we're about to sing is a song called Lord, I Need You. 
and I want you to sing this song a little bit different this morning. Maybe you're singing this song because you've never experienced God, and that's totally fine. Hear the words of this song. If you want to stop singing to hear the words, that's great. And if you want to know what that relationship looks like, please come talk to one of us. But to the audience I'm really talking to this morning and preaching to, I hope I don't, you feel like I'm preaching at you, but if you call yourself a seasoned Christian, there's a couple lines in here. You're my strong defense. You're my righteousness. Church, you understand, we could not be righteous without the Spirit. We forget that. The Spirit is what makes us righteous in the eyes of God. It's not something that we do. So what I'm saying this morning is if you call yourself a believer, it didn't stop at moment one when you said yes to Jesus. And if someone taught you that, I am so sorry. The journey doesn't stop there. The journey begins there. And it goes from there to here of knowing the word and saying, how can I be more gospel driven? How can I show others the hope and the forgiveness that I have received? Even though I have toxic people in my life, even though I've been hurt, even though I feel shame, how can I walk through this? That's where I want to be. I don't want to be in this jail cell of my own head wondering why someone hurt me all the time or why this person doesn't believe in me or talk to me. I don't know your pains, but I have a feeling that we're done with them. And I think if we started driving this home a little bit more and if we as a church said, hey, I wanna own this. I wanna, I wanna show forgiveness even in the light of suffering. I think we would see the world change. I think we'd see our nation change and it would be for the better. I know it makes me look better. I know it makes me feel better. And I have all that because God said I am worthy because we are sons and daughters. Go ahead and stand with me as we pray. Glory Father God, as, as we just call out to you, as we get ready to sing this last song, may we know that we are in need of you. May we know that you are our rock and our salvation. God, as we talked about a parable this morning of the unforgiving servant, may we know that we have a response and it's not to respond unkindly to the fact that you have forgiven us of our many trespasses. God, may you guide us. May we be stronger for the kingdom and may we take your word out. We pray this all in your name. Amen.